Yo, 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 what's up, Pathway Church? Good to be with you guys this morning, this last day of 2023. Ah, can you believe it? That's crazy. Well, as uh, Pastor Brian said so beautifully, um, my name is James Flaming, and I'm happy to be with you guys. I serve with the Youth and Young Adults Ministry here at Pathway Church and also as the campus chaplain at Masters Academy. If you are a young adult or you know of a young adult that's looking for community and wants to grow in the relationship with the Lord, uh, we meet on Monday nights at 7 p.m. in the Student Ministry Building. We're not meeting tomorrow, but we'll meet the following Monday. So if you're a young adult, we'd love to have you there. Well, hey, guys, last time I preached, had the opportunity to preach from the pulpit, um, one of you Pathway peeps gave me a beautiful gift after the sermon. And I just wanted to show everybody this beautiful gift because I feel like it's worthy of it. And uh, you kind of have to know me a little bit to understand how this gift works. And uh, I practiced a little bit, but no promises I'm actually going to do it right because I've been played with one of these things since I was like five. But here it is. Oh, it's stuck. Anyway, you get the picture, but it's a yo-yo. Wait, wait, I, 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 I'll give you a second. I really want to. I, I worked hours on this. Come on now. <laughs> Here we go. Hey, oh, oh, whoa, I just walked the dog a little bit. Whoa. Yeah, so you have it. You know who you are. Thank you. I think I should just kind of keep it up here with me as I preach, right? I feel like I want to give a big, like, point to my set message. I should go. Really show you that I'm doing it. And God said, love your neighbor as yourself. And God said, I don't know. Whoa, man, this yo-yo is weird. All right, we're going to put it back. That was a great yo-yo. Whoever it is, don't be offended. I call it weird. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, guys. If you're anything like me, you're still kind of in a partial Christmas food coma a little bit. So what I want you to do, and and introverts, you can stone me after the service. I want you to stand up for a second. Stand up. Everyone stand up. Stand up. Yeah. Ooh, stretch out those knees, those legs. All right. This is what I want you to do for a brief time. I want you to go and say hi to somebody. And then I want you to tell them, What was one of the coolest things you experienced or saw during 2023, right? Last day of 2023. So tell, say, introduce yourself, say hi, um, and then tell them something that was super cool that happened in 2023, all right? Here we go. Go ahead and do it. Let's be the church. All right, sorry to cut you off. Let's go ahead and uh, finish up our cool stories. All right. Very nice. Sound like everyone had an eventful 2023 based on all the the communication. Yeah, let's go. You can finish, pick up that story with that person at the end of service. Now, I'm curious, I'm curious. Let's go and take a little survey here. Raise your hand if your story was something athletic related, like the cool spectacular thing you witnessed or done, did in 2023 was sports related, just out of curiosity. All right, tell me if the spectacular thing that happened was family related. 
All right. Oh, a lot of, we love our family. All right. This is good. This is good. All right. What about uh, maybe uh, music, rela- music related? Maybe your, yeah, okay. Your favorite artist dropped a new song or something. I know for me, I'll just tell you a little bit about my music taste. I had the pleasure of taking a group of students to Rock the Universe, which is a Christian music festival at Universal Studios. And uh, my <laughs> favorite band as a middle schooler was there. Good old Skillet. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. I thought I was going to be like, all right, it's going to be cool. But I went so hard at that concert. <laughs> like they opened up with literally my favorite song. I was like, what? <laughs> it was such an old song too. I'm like, okay, rock on. All right. Raise your hand if your spectacular thing was nothing of those categories. Anything like that? What about was your spectacular thing? You can stop doing the hands. But what, what if your spectacular thing was something that was more humor related, right? A funny, a funny story you saw or a comedian you saw. Or just, uh, I don't know, a funny video you saw. And I feel like, ah, man, some of the, (laughs) I love comedy, okay? And I love little funny videos that are called uh, Instagram Reels. Raise your hand if you know what an Instagram Reel. Let me me educate you guys, all right? Instagram Reels are just short 15 to 30 second videos because that's how long our attention spans are as Gen Zers, okay? Um, It's rotting our brains, I know. Uh, But they're very short videos. (laughs) Usually are pretty funny, right? So I had the show, I just had to. Um, There's a point to this in a second, I promise. I had to show my top two Instagram shorts that I saw over the year. I shared with my friends and my family members. And they're very short, like I said. So I'm going to go ahead and read the caption that goes with it. It's kind of like a living meme. If you don't know what a meme is, look that up later. Um, but so here, here's the first one. It says this, okay? It's going to go really fast. So <laughs> don't blink, all right? It says, my bestie and I going into church to serve at the single women's conference. Let's roll that first one. (laughs) Too good. I don't know if you caught it in parentheses. It says, we feel called to serving God in this way. A strong calling. I was joking with the Pathway staff that this is how I felt when I was asked to volunteer at the women's ministry Christmas dinner that we had a couple weeks ago. I'm like, all right, yeah, all right. <laughs> Where the single ladies at, right? <laughs> and the staff's like, wow, this is the fastest. Yeah, I've never seen James so excited to serve, right? Um, all right, second one, the second video that I thought was super fun. Actually, I shared this with our, our, our pastor, Nate Swearing, Jen, because it was so applicable to some of the moments I feel <laughs> working in the youth ministry. Um, um, but here's the caption. It says this, P-F-O, POV, which stands for point of view. It's a little lingo for you. Um, you've been called on to lead prayer, but you zoned out and don't know what to pray for. All right, let's go and roll that second one. Oh, man. At, at Pathway students, our volunteers meet before service to share prayer requests and pray. <laughs> the words is when, no, sorry to the youth leaders. <laughs> like I zone out. Like, I, I don't know. I guess your prayers aren't important enough to me. And then Pastor Nate's like, all right, James, you pray for us? I'm like, oh, yeah. Can we run that back? <laughs> Here, here's a little trick for you. This is, a, this is a James, something I keep in my back pocket. Have you guys ever used the prayer blanket? It's when you go into a prayer and you were in that predicament and you say, Lord, I just want to put a blanket of prayer over all these requests that were made in this meeting. You know what they are. I might have forgotten, but you know. I whip out that bad boy every Tuesday. All right. Um, So those are some funny videos. And the point to all this is that whatever story you shared with your fine fellow neighbor here at Pathway Church or maybe um, something different, all of these things, whether they're funny, athletic-related, family-related, music-related, kind of all have one similar feature. 
that it causes a reaction inside of us, right? Stir something inside of us. We laugh, we cry, we're shocked when our team like lost so badly. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any teams uh, that played last night, but uh, um, you know, we're shocked, right? It, it caused a reaction inside of us. It caused us to share about it, right? I kind of made you share in, in service, but maybe you shared of your own fruition um, to a family member. Like, oh, did you see this video? Right, did you see what just happened? Well, that's so cool. Maybe you post on social media, right? It's like, whoa, can't believe that just happened, right? It caused a reaction in us, right? And so that's what usually significant things do, right? It causes a reaction. If, if a significant thing doesn't cause a reaction to you, it's, it's because of one of, or of two things. One, you couldn't care less, right? Like some of you might, might, might have, were judging my videos and like, yeah, I don't care about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't react, which is fine. That's fine. I had a couple laughs, so we're good. We're good. Or two, you don't understand the brevity of the situation that just happened. For example, in the sports world, I'm a big soccer guy. I know it's not popular amongst the Americans, which, which is fine. One day, one day you guys will um, come to the revelation that soccer is a great sport. Yeah, Pastor Nate, if you're watching. Um, and one of the biggest things that ever happened was the best soccer player to ever live probably, Lionel Messi, came to Florida to play for a team in Miami. And my mind was blown by it. I'm like, is this real, right? But to you, who maybe not into the soccer space, which is fine, we all, we all have our bread and butter, you might have not seen the significance of that, right? So those two things, or you might not care, right? Back to the first one, right? So that, that's what happens. If, if a significant thing happens and we don't react, it's because we don't care or we don't understand the significance of it. And we, and we have an opportunity, Pathway Church, to be in the presence of significance every Sunday, really every day, right? Every Sunday, specifically, when we come together in corporate worship, we get the opportunity to be in the presence of God and to see his spirit manifest in our hearts and in our giftings and the way we treat one another. And it's just like, whoa, this is so awesome. And I never want to be in a place where like, one, I don't care. Oh, okay, because spirit's presence is here. All right, okay. Or two, I just don't understand, right? So that if, if you're in one of those two camps, I would love for us to kind of... Uh, under, help us understand why, man, why being in the presence of God is such a great thing, right? Pastor Brian's been talking about uh, the series we've been in is about the, the presence of God, right? Christmas, how, you know, God came down and gave his presence to us, which is so awesome, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to turn to a story about a, a regular, ordinary guy, right? Other than, he, other than the fact he lived a long time ago. He's just the same as you and me, not, nothing special, not the varsity Christian, right? And his name was Isaiah, and uh, if you don't know who Isaiah is, he um, was a prophet, someone called by God to speak words of encouragement or rebuke, and he was called by God to be a prophet to the nation of Israel, and he had to, he had to speak some harsh words to them, because the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, not doing so hot, southern kingdom of Judah, not doing very hot either, so he was commissioned by God to speak words of rebuke and encouragement, right? And actually, in the book of Isaiah, you can read a lot about the prophecies of our coming Savior, right? We talk about them a lot during Christmas time, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you know that stuff? That's from Isaiah, right? So we have Isaiah to thank for those prophecies. And fun fact, he, he lived 680 years before Christ even came, right? So it's like, whoa, how do you know that was gonna happen, right? Something is divine about this book, that he can pro- prophesy something that happens like a thousand years later. Pretty crazy. But Isaiah was just an available person like you and me, right? And God used him. So we're going to read about his commissioning of when God said, all right, you're my prophet, go and do this. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. It'll also be on the screens. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Let's go ahead and pray as we read God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the man Isaiah that we can learn from and how he experienced your presence in such a mighty way that caused a huge reaction. And my hope and prayer is that we experience your presence in a mighty way that causes a reaction in us. So open our hearts, God, to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Starting in verse 1, it says, and then Isaiah is speaking in the first person, kind of like a diary entry, if you will. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then when the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Powerful text of scripture. There's three main things we can learn about the Lord's presence and how it should cause us to react um, when we experience his presence. The first point is this. God's presence is holy. The seraphims, who are just heavenly, I don't know if they're angels or just heavenly creatures, the full six-wing things, I'm a, <laughs> you'll see it when you see it um, in heaven. Um, but they cried out the most magnificent characteristic of God, and that's his holiness, right? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And this is arguably probably the, God's most dominant trait, is that he is holy. And really, all of his other traits are defined by his holiness, right? Like he's holy in his love. He's holy in his compassion. He's holy in his might and power. And you might be wondering, what does holy mean? Other than it's used often for holy smokes, holy cow, and a series of other expressions people use, which I have no idea what they're saying, myself included when I was a kid. Um, but holy means set apart, different, sacred. Um, Jerry Bridges, a, a guy that read a great book called The Joy of Fearing God, excellent book. He wrote this definition of holy in his book. He says the Hebrew word of holy is kadash, which generally means cut off or separate. When used of God, the word expresses the idea of separateness or otherness. God is wholly other from all his creation, from angels, from men, especially from sinful man. He is absolutely distinct from all his creatures. And it is infinitely exalted above them in incomprehensible glory and majesty. That's basically a fancy way of saying that God is the goat, right? He's the greatest of all time. If we say God is holy, that means he's above all. No one can be compared to him. He has no peers, right? God could never do a peer review, right? You guys remember in high school when you had to do those peer reviews for your papers? I thought they were a waste of time, personally. No offense if you're an English teacher out there, because <laughs> I feel like the people that reviewed my paper wouldn't, wouldn't try, because I know that, because I wouldn't try on theirs. But anyway, so God could never be called upon to be peer review anything. Because like, well, where's my peers? Oh, don't see any. Why? Oh, because I'm out of everybody's league, right? And that's a God flex, obviously, and he's, not, he's humble. Um, but that's what holy means, right? And we could spend all morning talking about God's holiness and the, the implications of, wow, the holiness of God and how we can revel in it and just soak into it. But we don't have time for all that, so what we're going to have to settle for is a video. 
And this is a video by an organization called The Bible Project. Raise your hand if you're familiar with The Bible Project. If not, you're going to be able to raise your hand after this, right? Um, it's a great organization that does a good job sharing the narrative of the Bible and using imagery that they create and narration. And this um, video we're going to watch is a topical study on holiness. And they have so many resources. It's like hard not to use them all as a nerd like myself, but we can't use them all. Okay, so this video is kind of long, though. It's six minutes. And I just want to encourage you just to, man... Open your heart and mind. Don't zone out. I know I just said our attention spans are for 15 to 30 seconds, Instagram reels, right? But there's so much good information packed into this uh, video about God's holiness. And they do such a good job of showing God's holiness in Genesis all the way to Revelation and how it's just like keeps on showing up. So cool. And even references our passage here in Isaiah. So let's go ahead and uh, get on the edge of our seats. All right. And be ready for what the Lord wants to teach us through this holiness video. April, you can go ahead and play it. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. 
And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but... Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. Away. Like God's holiness is awesome. Like, wow, our God is holy. That's like, that's like a big flex. Like, that's a big deal, right? But as we, we saw, like the sun, it, it is dangerous. It's good, but it's dangerous. Especially dangerous for those who aren't holy, right? And this is the sad reality is that in Genesis 3, if you know your Old Testament, the, our relation with God was broken when Adam and Eve chose to sin. And now we can't be in fellowship with a holy God because this can't happen, right? It's like eating your Christmas dinner in a Walmart bathroom. No offense to the Walmart bathroom, but you're not, you're not gonna do that, right? Um, so God can't be in the presence of sin. And that's why Isaiah's like freaking out a little bit in the passage. He's like, oh no. And he knows he's in a pickle, right? Go back to verse five. He says, woe is me for I am lost. 
for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, right? And he knows that, man, I'm in danger zone right now, right? God's holiness is too good for me. And it could be very catastrophic for me as a sinful person, right? Because Isaiah, you have to know, if you know, again, if you know your Old Testament, um, Isaiah and the Israelites back then lived under the Mosaic Law. We don't live under that anymore because Jesus fulfilled it. You can read about that in the book of Hebrews, right? But the Mosaic Law was pretty, was pretty, pretty crazy. I was like, there's a lot of stuff in there. 613 laws in the books of Leviticus. The book of, Levit- the book of Leviticus is a, a real page turner. <laughs> if you've ever read it, I encourage you to read it because it's still good stuff. But um, a lot of laws about you can't touch this, can't touch that. If you touch this, you got to go outside the camp for seven days. If you touch that, you got to go outside for the camp for seven days. If you touch that, you, yes, we, we know the Lord outside the camp for seven days. All right. <laughs> it's like a little community out there um, for the people that are waiting to come back in the camp. Um, and the best way I can explain this to you is, I don't know why this movie came to mind, but as I was preparing this, but raise your hand if you've seen The, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Okay, like two of you. All right. Go watch it. I don't condone everything in that movie, but it's a funny, it's a funny movie, right? In the movie, there's a scene where the main character, who is a uh, middle schooler, uh, middle school boy, right? And he sees a piece of cheese on the asphalt of the basketball court, right? And as any uh, sixth, grade boy, sixth grade boy would, he's like, oh, I want to touch it, right? I don't know why. He goes to touch it. Thankfully, his friend comes to the rescue and like, whoa, don't touch that piece of cheese. If you do, you'll get the cheese touch. And you don't want the cheese touch. Because rumor has it there was a time when a boy in that middle school touched that piece of cheese and had the cheese touch. And it was basically like contagious. If you touch someone with the cheese touch, they now have the cheese touch. And it was crazy, right? So similarly, if in the Old Testament, if they touched anything impure, right? Even That's why it was so crazy when Jesus like touched lepers and people, that lady with the, the bleeding and stuff. They're like, whoa, Jesus, whoa, hey oh, you're going to be impure if you touch that, right? And that's unfortunately the case for us when we try to commune with a holy God. But as we see in the story of Isaiah, there's good news. Though we're separated by sin and we're deserving of death because of our sinfulness, the second point of today's message is, is that God's presence changes us, or it can change you if you make yourself available to it, right? In the story of Isaiah, there's a plot twist that unravels, right? He's like, ah, woe is me. I'm in the presence of God. But then it's like, well, hold up. God's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me send a seraphim thing with a coal. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to me. Um, so that seraphim comes to Isaiah's mouth and touches the, with the coal, as you saw in the video, right? And instead of Isaiah's impurity going onto that holy coal, the holy coal goes onto his impurity. It's like, what? You've never seen that before. It's like, people are like shocked. Like, what? Only, only unholiness can travel to holiness. Holiness doesn't travel to unholiness. That just doesn't make any sense, right? Especially those living under the Levitical law at that time. This is a real game changer, right? And I mentioned in the video, this coal touching Isaiah's lips is a picture of Christ and how Christ steps in and makes us unholy people holy. And it's awesome. It's super cool. If you want some extra credit points in your notes, this, this whole the transaction that happens with the coal and a picture of Christ is called typology, right? Typology. It's a really cool study where there's so many things in the Old Testaments that are types of Christ. Basically, how can I, best way I can compare it is, uh, you know how Pixar movies have like little Easter eggs in each of the movies kind of directing to another movie that's to come? I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I nerd out and watch videos like that. Like for example, in Nemo, if you ever watch Nemo, the kid in the that's in the aquarium place, is flipping through a, a, a comic and has the Incredibles on it. It's like, ooh, the Incredibles is coming out soon, right? And every, every video has, I don't know if they still do it, but in the back, back in like Toy Story and stuff, they had a little Easter egg of the next video that's going to come, right? So it's like, ooh, right? Similarly, typology is like God throwing little, 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 little Easter eggs about what's going to come with Jesus, right? And honestly, typology is something that, no offense to Islam and Judaism, but they just can't seem to figure out. 
Because Islam and Judaism kind of have some similar views on the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, but they don't believe in the person of Jesus Christ as Messiah, King, Lord, and Savior, right? That's the point where we disagree, which is a big deal, right? But how can you go into the Old Testament as someone who's in Judaism and not see Jesus in the Old Testament? It blows my circus. I'm not going to lie. Maybe, uh, maybe they just don't understand. Maybe they don't want to know. But like, there's so many pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. It, it's, it's unreal. Let me just give you a couple here, just for extra credit here, right? You got, you got the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac. You guys remember that one where Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah? That's a weird story, right? But there was a point to it. There's a lot of points to it, but one of it was to point to the how God was going to give up his one only son and sacrifice him on a different mountain, right? The similarities between Isaiah being miraculously birthed through Sarai, even though she was barren. Mary gives birth to Jesus, so she's a virgin. It's like, whoa, you know, I, I, Isaac is carrying his wood up the mountain where the little wood that he's going to be sacrificed on. Jesus is carrying his cross up to uh, the mountain he was going to be crucified on. It's like, whoa, that's a picture of Christ. Look at that. You keep on going fast forward a little bit. Go to the book of Numbers. That's a real page turner as well. It's, it's, more, it's more entertaining than Leviticus, I'll say that. But you got the story of Moses and the Israelites, right? The Israelites are complaining for like the thousandth time, right? They, just, they had the spiritual gift of complaining, right? And God's like, all right. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's kind of cruel, but funny. But God's holy and good, so it's all good. Uh, but he sends serpents to uh, bite them because they're complaining so much. And they start dying, right? And they're like crying out to Moses, like, all right, we're, we're, we messed up. We get it. Punishment sucks, right? And uh, God instructs Moses to create a bronze serpent, which is so like weird. It's like, why a bronze serpent? That's kind of, a, kind of like a crude joke, right? Let's, let's create the thing that's killing them. Yeah, put it on a stick, right? And uh, if you know a little bit, about the story. It's just interesting because if uh, logically the best way to set up that bronze serpent like so that people can see it is to put it on like a, a cross-shaped like stick, right? So it could just sit there, kind of like the, the medical symbol or whatever. And it's a picture. The whole point of that was to be a picture of Christ. And Jesus mentions this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if you want to look it up. He talks about just how um, the Israelites looked up to that bronze serpent and were saved from their infirmities. Anyone who looks to the Son of Man will be saved from their sin. It's like, that's in the Old Testament! That's like thousands of years before Jesus comes. Easter egg, right? And then you got the one, obviously, with the coal, which we, I don't want to talk about it again because that's redundant. But um, you see, like, there's so, and that's just three examples. And there's so many more examples of typology. I'm like, man, Jesus is present in the Old Testament. We, that's why we say the Bible's Christocentric, right? Everything points to Christ. That's why Christ, this person, this man, this deity, whatever, whatever is so important. Well, we, we believe it's a deity, but other our worldviews don't think he's a deity. Um, so that's why it's so important that the person work in Jesus Christ, right? So for us who know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, this is such an awesome story, right? Because for the longest time, only impurity counted for anything, right? It didn't matter how good of a person you thought you are. It doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are now, right? All it takes is one act of impurity to cancel out every good thing you ever did, right? Just one bad apple just ruins the whole batch, right? It says this in the book of James, one of my favorite books. I don't know why. Um, James chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So those of us who would think, man, we we don't need a savior. He needs a savior, 100%. She needs a savior. Shoot, if you committed one impurity, one act of disobedience, one sin, we're all deserving of divine judgment. We're all deserving of separation from God, right? But 
In steps Jesus, the plot twist with this coal, right? Jesus knows we're incapable of mending this relationship with the Holy God. So like, shoot, I'll do it, right? That's why God sent, John three sixteen. God sends his only son to die for us, right? So that if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. And this is like, whoa, this is awesome, right? And Isaiah's like, whoa, I don't even know this Jesus guy yet, but this is pretty cool, right? Because he kind of, he's getting put pieces together, right? Whoa, this is gonna be what the Savior does, right? That I'm prophesying about, right? I mean, again, back to, not to harp on Islam, Judaism, that, how did they read Isaiah? He talks about the virgin birth, and he talks about he should be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Like, who's that talking about? <laughs> I don't know. But if you are um, in the Judaism camp or the Islam camp, I'd love to talk with you in all seriousness. Or if you know somebody, um, just, just doesn't make any sense to me. I want to, I want to understand. I want to understand. All right, so Jesus, um, Isaiah is changed by the presence of God, right? Then those of us who have been changed by the presence of God, right? And man, I know it's so, it's so hard, isn't it, to explain when you have an encounter with God in like human terms. Like you had an awesome experience during worship or something or an awesome experience at a, a camp or something or just in your quiet time. And you try to explain it to a friend, especially someone who's not of the faith. It's like, man, it's not, it's, I'm not doing, the words I'm communicating just isn't doing it justice, right? And, and it's because it's holy. There's nothing to compare God's presence to. If there was something to compare it to, it wouldn't be holy anymore, right? So it's so awesome. So if you've experienced that holy presence, we, this leads us to our third point. And it's this, God's presence sends us out, baby. It sends us out. When we're changed, we get sent out. Let's go. And it sees it right here. We go back to our text in Isaiah. After being changed by the awesome presence of God, Isaiah was changed. He jumped on the first opportunity to be used by God. Check it out in verse eight. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Shout out to the Trinity, because it's the first person plural. Then I said, here I am, send me. Now bear with me for a second, but this is just how I imagine this scene going down, okay? So you're getting into James's head a little bit, all right? I know it's a vision, but just walk with me for a second, all right? So we got, you got Jesus, uh, God the Father, Holy Spirit, because it says, who, who, who's going to go for us? And they're over here in their holy huddle, right? Because they're holy and they're huddling. And uh, they're talking about, all right, Israel, the Israelites, what are we going to do about them? Northern kingdom is committing idolatry and turning away from us to worship false gods. Judah, the southern kingdom, also doing it. Not as bad, but doing pretty bad. Um, what do we do, right? You got God the Father saying, what, what do we do? And Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like, hmm, right? What should we do? Ah, we should send a prophet. And God the Father is like, yeah, yeah, good idea, good idea. Who, who should we send? Who will go for us, right? It's like as if God doesn't know who he's going to send, right? But it says in the text, who will go for us? It's so funny. And uh, Jesus is like, ah, oh, what, about, what, about, what about Jeremiah? Jeremiah. The Holy Spirit is like, ah, oh, no, Jeremiah is busy doing some things, yeah. And then Jesus is like, oh, what about, what about Elijah? Oh, yeah. Holy Spirit chimes in. God the Father is like, ah, oh, no, 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 no. He's scheduled to come up to heaven on that flaming chariot on Tuesday. He says, oh, big time, we can escape death, right? If you know the story of Elijah, right? And the Holy Spirit is like, well, I think we can all agree that we shouldn't send Jonah, right? We saw how Jonah worked out with Nineveh. Um, no offense. <laughs> Sorry, Jonah. All right. And I just imagine them to kind of talk, like, who are we going to send, right? Obviously, this probably isn't completely biblically accurate, so take it with a grain of salt. And they're talking, having their holy huddle over there. And Isaiah's like over here, like, hey, I'm over here, guys, right? And he's like trying to listen in, like a kid listening to a grown-up conversation. And he's like, wait, are they talking about sending somebody to Israel? Wait, he's like, he's like, hey, 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 here I am. How about you send me? Right? And all three of them are like, 
That'll work. Yeah, we can, we, we can make that happen, right? And it's like, Isaiah's like, send me, right? He's so jacked up and excited because he literally got changed by the presence of God. He's like, woohoo, over here, pick me. I'll go. I'll talk to them. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play, right? And it reminds me of a story that my mom shared with us. Shout out to mom. Love you, mom. And she was telling a story. She's a PE teacher over at Master's Academy. She used to teach uh, the preschoolers over there. I'm not exactly sure what preschoolers do for PE, but they were doing their PE stuff, right? And, and my mom was, you know, all right, we're, let's just say we're playing kickball. I don't know what games you play. Can preschoolers walk, right? Yeah, they can walk. <laughs> I don't know the ages very well. Okay, how old are preschoolers? Anyway, they're, oh, we're going to play kickball, my mom says. And who's going to go first, right? And all the kids are excited and they're amped. They're like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me, right? Yeah, yeah, right. All right, we're going to play, I don't know, um, some other game. Who wants to go first? And they're like, pick me, pick me. And there was a new student that came to class. Let's just call his name Johnny, little Johnny. Shout out to the Johnnies in the, in the world. And little Johnny, he's like, oh, man, this is, this is cool. They, they all want to do what my mom wants, uh, what Mrs. Flaming, Coach Flaming wants them to do. All right, I'm going to join in. Pick me, pick me. I want to go. I want to go first, right? And they keep on doing this pick me, pick me. Like, they sound like the seagulls from Nemo, right? Pick me, right? And eventually, my mom, um, you know, is just going around campus over at Master's Academy. And, you know, the preschoolers are on at recess or something. And she can hear in the, in the distance, pick me, pick me. He doesn't think anything of it. Some kids just saying, pick me. They don't want to play a game, right? But throughout the week, it's just keeps on here, just pick me, pick me, right? When the preschoolers are out doing their thing, and she's just walking by, pick me. And then one day, little Johnny comes up to my mom and says, pick me. There's a snake underneath the, the slide. And then Don, my mom's like, oh, he thinks my name is pick me, right? Pick me, pick me, because everyone's calling her pick me, right? And I love to see her name. Pick me, pick me, right? It's like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm like oh, that's funny. Now, now, what a cute story, but what, what, what would it look like, guys, if we all had pick me type energy? Where God's like, all right, I got some, we got some work to do here in Vero Beach. Who, who am I going to send to help out with, say, families, right? Who are we going to send to, uh, you know, do outreach over at the source? Who, who are we going to send? And what, what would it look like if we were people that are like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me, right? Instead, myself included, guys, I'm, I'm not saying I'm holier than that, all right? A lot of times, we are like, no offense to the, my students, but we're like the high schoolers that I used to teach when I was a teacher, right? And I'd ask a question, you know, an easy softball question. And all of them, you know, avoid eye contact with me. It's like, oh, that tile looks pretty interesting, right? Maybe if I don't look at Mr. J, he won't call me, Right? And that's sometimes the energy we bring to, you know, God has something great in store for us here at Pathway Church. Instead of saying, pick me, pick me, we're like, eh, yeah, God will pick someone else, right? Someone else will pick up the tab. Someone, someone else will figure that out. Oh, I'm sure someone is more qualified than I am, right? And maybe, or maybe we just wait and we're like, ah, you know what? I'm just not in the right space to be picked by God to do something awesome for his glory, right? It's like, oh, like, sorry, God, my schedule's a little busy, right? It's just like, man, to think that I do that so often, right? We're like, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait until I get a house. I'll wait until I'm married. I'll wait until I have kids. Or I'll wait until the season's right and the, the economy's better, right? You know, the economy right now, we just can't serve the Lord right now. It's just like, God's like, all right, send, the, send those two uh, excuse.com and I'll find someone else, right? And it's just tragic that we don't have the attitude like Isaiah did, which, man, makes me wonder if we experience the presence of God and that's between you and the Lord, right? And obviously the Lord calls us to different things. We're not all going to be called to the same thing, right? It's God's principle of individuality, right? And I just wonder, what would it look like? Because Isaiah, man, he, he had to know what he was signing up for. 
He had to know, unless he was as dumb as a rock. I don't know. He knew that a prophet is not like the woohoo, can't wait to be like when grown-ups heard their kids say, I want to be a prophet one day. They're like, oh no, no, little Johnny, no, you don't want to be a prophet, right? Because nobody liked the prophets back in the Old Testament, right? He wasn't, he wasn't stepping into a mega church or a celebrity, per, celebrity pastor position where everyone, whatever. He is going to be a prophet, which is going to be one of the most hated people on the planet. Because the Israelites are so enthralled in their sin and he's trying to speak words of truth, right? With grace, but truth, truth. And they don't, they're not having any of it, right? We don't want to hear you. I can guarantee the book of Isaiah wasn't New York Times bestseller, right? Actually, many scholars believe that Isaiah was the prophet that was sawn in half. As it says in Hebrews 11, you know, it talks about how so many of those who are martyred for Christ in the hall of faith and it mentions one being sawn in half and many believe that was Isaiah, right? And it's just like, man, but Isaiah didn't care what the assignment called for, what, the, what was gonna happen to him. He was changed by God. That's what mattered. He was changed by God. He's like, I want in on what you want me for me. I'm not waiting for an invitation. I'm not waiting for a holy sign in the sky that tells me to do exactly what to do at the exact time. I'm just going to step out in faith. And God, you better, you better come through. That's all I got to say, right? And that's what he does. And it's so inspiring for me to see. It's like, we think like, man, there's so many stories of people that sacrifice. And we hear them and the God at work moments and things like that. Like, we sacrifice time. We sacrifice money. Some sacrifice their family, right? Those who um, leave like Islam or some other religion to follow Christianity are disowning their family, right? They're losing their family. It's like, wow, there's so many things that people are losing. People are losing their lives all around the world. And it's just like, why? It's like, I'm scratching my head. Like, how does that happen? Like, wow. How do they have so much motivation? I'll tell you why. They experienced the presence of God's holy presence and they were changed by it. And that's the only natural thing they could do. God, you're so good. You're so awesome. You've changed me. You've restored me. I'll do anything, right? And it takes time to get there. I get that. But what, is that, what would that look like for us? Now, some of you might be asking, man, all right, James, you're talking about this great holy presence. Woo, awesome, sounds fun. Why am I not experiencing it? I know this is a question I asked a lot when I was growing up. I'm like, I see people that are, you know, just, man, they seem on fire for God is the Christian jargon, right? Uh, I don't know why that's a term, fire for God. It sounds weird. But um, why can't I have that? I remember that. I remember that in high school. I'm like, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that? So, and it's really a prayer that I pray for so many of our students working in the youth ministry. It's like, man, I just want them to experience the presence of God. Like, oh, I just want them so bad to experience it like I have. Like, I just want that for them. It's like, why are they not getting it? Oh, and you can get discouraged, right? And you have your friend, they're trying to reach for Christ. It's like, why aren't they experiencing the divine God that I so love and adore and I'll do anything for? And it's tough. I will say it's tough. I don't know all the ins and outs of how God works with his presence, right? And you see with the Apostle Paul, he really shows up, like knocks him off his horse and does some crazy cool stuff. You see, we see with the Asbury Revival, God seemed to move in a, a way that's different than normal. And it's like, why can't you just do that every other Tuesday? A revival every Tuesday, right? Why, why is that? That's between the Lord. That's between the Trinity. What my question, our question is, what, what can I do? On my, what's my part to help experience the presence of God? Right? Instead of asking the wise, God doesn't do this, do that, let's focus on what we can do, right? So that leads us to our next step questions. And I got quite a few, so bear with me here, okay? So if you're wanting to experience the presence of God in a way that changes you and makes you ascent people, here are a couple questions for you. Question number one, it's the most basic, but the most foundational and the most important. Do you have a saving relationship with the Lord? If you're here today and you don't know what it means to be saved from your sin, to restore that relationship with the Holy God, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you because that, that's what happens first. You got to enter into that relationship. You got to enter into that communion, right? 
Secondly, let's say you do have a relationship with the Lord, but you're just not experiencing God's presence in the way if you feel like you should. Like, why am I not getting moved to do, like, man, count the cost and do whatever it takes to glorify the Lord? Here are three questions for you. And they're not an exhaustive list. There could be other things that are happening, but this is just what, for me, has helped whenever I experience seasons of, like, um, spiritual drought, if you will. Um, first is, are you living in habitual sin? Obviously, we're all sinners. No one's perfect. Even after coming into a relationship with the Lord, you're going to mess up. I mess up. We all mess up, right? I'm talking about like a pattern of habitual sin. Like you're, you're constantly lying. You're not just lying one time to get out of a pinch or whatever. Or you're constantly gossiping. You're constantly lusting. You're constantly whatever. You fill in the blank. Because that's going to be a problem if you're trying to have a close relationship with the Holy God. Right? God ain't, God ain't interacting with those with the cheese touch, right? We've talked about that. God's holy presence is just not built to handle sin, right? You can't. You can't. So if you, if you need to confess your sin, that's awesome. Confession's a great thing. It's kind of maybe a little stereotype where it's kind of like a negative thing. It's, it's, it's an awesome thing. You get to confess what you did wrong and then lay it at the foot of the cross and just walk away from it. Like, what? That's awesome, right? Obviously, you wanted to do, take some steps to make sure you don't, it's not a license to go back to sin, but you know what I'm saying? Confession's good, and that can help you with your relationship with the Lord. Second thing is, if you're not experiencing the powerful presence of God, is it, is it, have you made what's holy common? What do I mean by that? God's presence is meant to be one of a kind, holy, wonderful experience. Have you made it kind of just a trivial thing? It's become white noise. All right, every Sunday we go sing some songs, even though I can't sing to save my life, right? But we'll do it anyway. And it's just become a, a monotonous, like, all right, go through the motions type thing. Or are you coming to church with an expectation that you're going to get to commune with the holy presence of God? That's a game changer right there. It talks about in a song, um, may we never lose our wonder, right? This idea of having childlike faith. Like sometimes myself, I mean, it's it's, it's the fallacy of familiarity. It's like, oh, I know. I know this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor Brian, I know this story. You can just save it for another time, right? And we kind of become spiritually a little prideful, and then we don't experience the holiness of God because we made it common. It happens all the time in my life. Third, maybe this, those first two are an issue for you, but maybe it's this one. Are you opening the door of your heart to the presence of God? Because we know God's presence is all around and is available. It's not in short supply. uh, Jesus said this to the church of Laodicea in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Guys, I'm a firm believer that God's presence is available, but the the doors of our hearts are just shut to it. We're just kind of leaving Jesus out to dry in the cold. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll find another door. I'll find another heart to enter into and reveal my presence to. And you might be asking, well, what does it mean to open the door of your heart? That sounds weird, right? I get it. What I found is personal experience and also in God's word, opening the door of your heart requires surrender and submission. Two things that aren't necessarily fun to do. We don't like to surrender. We don't like to submit but it's the things that are essential, non-negotiables in order to let the Spirit of God do a working with you. I mean, we use it often with hands raised, right? It's, it's nothing fancy about raising your hands. It's just an outward expression of kind of an inward decision. But like, it's, it's just like symbolism of like, I'm giving it all to you, God. I'm completely available. And if we just hold on to one area of our lives, the door's still shut of your heart. It's God, you gotta give it all to God. And it's, it's uncomfortable, 100%. It takes a step of faith. Some areas that we want to keep shut. But if we don't open it up to the Lord, and I don't know what the Lord's going to do in you. I, I'm going to bet it's going to be awesome though. But you got to take that step of surrender and submission in order to open your heart to him. 
And lastly, let's say you are experiencing the presence of God in mighty ways. Will you now live as a sent people, right? I know we're flipping into a new calendar year, which is kind of significant, but really it's just another day to me. But could you make 2024 a year where you're gonna really hone in on this idea of being sent, right? Let's take what we have. Let's not hold on to what we have here. Like hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine, right? We're go, we, you guys go into so many different areas that I will never be able to go into where I'm just not able to, right? Can you take that presence of God with you to the areas you're going? And I don't know what that looks like. It literally, it literally just means showing the love of Christ. It doesn't mean I gotta give a three-point sermon at your workplace. Like, I mean, if the Lord wants you to do that, that's great. But like, what does, I think you're gonna know what the Lord wants you to do to be a sent people. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not gonna try to determine what that is for you. But we live as a sent people. And this song that Pastor Randy and the worship team's gonna sing, there's just a great job of kind of like a declaration for this new year. Like, all right, here I am, Lord, send me. So I wanna challenge you as you reflect on the song. Can you give and surrender your heart to the Lord? Maybe for the first time. We have prayer partners. I would love to pray with you. I'll be up here towards the front if you wanna pray with me. Whatever the Lord will lead you to do. But let's go ahead and pray and see what the Lord has for us through this song. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, Pathway Church. Thank you so much for every soul that's here, God. We love so dearly, we love all, we love them all. And we love to see all people here enter into a relationship with you and experience your holy presence, a presence that we're gonna get to linger in for eternity. Can't wait. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.